Well, it is the first Sunday of Advent, which means it is time for us to prepare for Christmas. And I don't want to brag, but I am already doing really, really well. I've already got the Christmas lights up. I did it when it was not super cold and made sure that I got that done because the further we get closer to Christmas, the weather oftentimes gets a little bit worse. So that's out of the way. The lights are on. We've got some Christmas cheer from the front of the house going out to all the neighbors. Um, not only that, but I have started my Christmas shopping, which is a miracle for me because uh, we are like a month away from Christmas already. Uh, but I am actually loving this year that we are being encouraged not to go to places like malls and uh, online shopping is a wonderful gift. So I'm already right in the thick of getting my Christmas shopping done. And there's still a lot of other preparations to do, but uh, I'm feeling pretty good about where I'm at. And today as we start Advent and we start this new teaching series, I want to talk about uh, preparing for Christmas, uh, waiting for Christmas. And this year, it's going to be a little bit different. This year, Christmas is going to be a little bit different, just like everything else is a little bit different. But as we wait into this season, and I know that there's going to be some disappointments this Christmas. There's some things that we're not going to be able to do that we're not supposed to do. Uh, you're not supposed to travel. You're not supposed to get together in big groups. You're not supposed to uh, get together with, with your extended family even. And there's some disappointments. And I'm sure a lot of us are going to have traditions that we can't do anymore. But I think we have also have an opportunity here. We have an opportunity because so many of us, every Christmas season, we get really stressed out. We get really, really busy and we fill our, our schedules up with all kinds of stuff that we have to go to and commitments and be here and do that and make sure we see these people. And while we're probably going to feel some disappointment on that and that's going to hurt, that's real, we also have an opportunity perhaps to have a quieter and slower season. And when we always talk about we want to make sure that we don't miss the real meaning of the season, the real reason for the season, or we want to keep Christ in Christmas or whatever little cliche you want to say, I think that this year we actually have a chance while things are a little slower and a little quieter and we can't do all the things that we might be used to doing to actually really tune in and maybe to have one of the more deep and meaningful Christmases that we have ever had. One of the things I'm hearing from a lot of people these days, just over and over and over and over, is I'm tired. You know, we're coming to the end of the year and, and we're tired. We're tired physically. We're tired emotionally. We're tired of restrictions. We're tired of bad news. We feel like a lot of us, are, our resources are depleted, where we need some strength. A lot of us are tired of waiting we're tired of waiting for things to get better, waiting for things to change. And I don't just mean the pandemic and the things that are happening all over the world, but there might be circumstances on every level of your life, uh, personally, uh, or your family, or things at work, or the things that are happening in our city or around the world, and you're just, you're just tired of it, and you're tired of waiting around. Well, here's uh, something a little bit ironic, but Advent is all about waiting, but it's a different kind of waiting. Advent literally means to come. And it is the season leading up to Christmas where uh, we uh, put ourselves in the shoes of those people who are waiting for the Messiah. That we believe, Christians believe, uh, is Jesus. But we look forward to that time up to and right around the birth of Jesus. And we try and uh, kind of enter into that season. Because while Jesus has already come once, we're still waiting in many ways for Jesus. We're waiting for Jesus to come again. We're waiting for God to intervene in our lives. And so we can step into that place and wait for him to come. 
Advent is, it comes from a Latin word, uh, and another word that comes from that same Latin word is adventure. And it almost seems different, this waiting for someone to come, an adventure. An, an adventure is often a, an unexpected and even hazardous experience or activity, one that takes a lot of effort and a lot of strain. And there's usually a big reward at the end of an adventure, but it's also something that's hard and difficult and takes something out of us. And I think putting those two concepts together maybe is a great way to think about how we wait for a Christ. We don't just wait passively for him to come. We wait in sort of this adventurous way uh, where we we are looking for him. We're looking for him in the world and how we can participate with what God is doing in the world as we wait to see more of him and more of what he'll do in our lives and all around us. So through this series, uh, while we're waiting, um, we, we want to address kind of where we're at, where many of us feel like we're tired and we're like we're waiting for things to get better. And I hope you'll join me over the next four weeks, including today in this Advent series as we wait for God in some really profound ways. And today I want to do that by talking about hope. We wait in hope. There's a story in Luke chapter 2, and it's actually from just after Jesus is born, just after the Christmas story. But I think it's still very much in the spirit of Advent and the spirit uh, of waiting. You'll see why. It's a little story about a man named Simeon. This is from Luke chapter 2, verse 22. It says, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, this is Mary and Joseph um, and Jesus, They brought him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel. So here's a man named Simeon, and he has been waiting, it says. He was, uh, he was devout. He was righteous. means he was very careful about how he lived. And he was waiting. And then he says that he's seen with his eyes the salvation of God. He, he, he sees Mary and Joseph come in with Jesus, and when he sees them, he gets kind of taken up that something major is happening, and he receives Jesus in his arms. And you see, hear what he said? He saw, I see this, I see your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. And when I read that passage, my question is, what did he actually see? He saw more than most people would have seen, he saw more than something physical. What did he see to think that this baby, that this child, in him was God's salvation? See, here's what he saw physically. We read that when Mary and Joseph came in, they came in uh, to do what they were supposed to do according to Jewish law. They're presenting Jesus in the temple and they bring a sacrifice, two turtle doves or two pigeons. What you're supposed to bring as a sacrifice, really what you're supposed to bring is a lamb, for your firstborn, as you, you, you go through this religious ritual, you bring a lamb. 
But if you can't afford a lamb, you can bring two turtle doves or two pigeons, which means that Mary and Joseph come in and, and they're poor. They don't have a lot. They don't have enough to bring a lamb. And so they bring these birds. So what Simeon would have physically actually saw is a rather poor family come in. People who have no real status, no real power, no real political standing. They're not showy. They're not flashy. They don't have anything that somebody would go like, wow, those are really powerful people. They're not military leaders. It's just a poor family trying to do what they're supposed to do in terms of their traditions and the laws of God. But Simeon, for some reason, sees something so much more. And one thing that we know is that he is very perceptive and receptive to the spirit. That that's part of this whole thing, that he comes in the spirit. The reason he's in the temple is because he's in the spirit, that, that he is attentive to what God has for him. And so he is seeing something on a much deeper level. So I have a cemetery behind my house. There's a gate in our backyard and there's a cemetery, which is actually a really beautiful place, a place I really like to walk in because there's a really nice path that goes all around it and it's beautifully kept. It looks like a big park, not really like a cemetery. There's a big pond and a fountain in it. And I, I go back there really often and, and just walk around um, all the time. Really peaceful place. And recently what I've been doing really often um, is I've been going for walks kind of in the evening. After we get the kids down to bed, I'll slip out and, and go for a little bit of a, a walk um, just to get out, get some fresh air, clear my head, whatever. And I noticed something because now we're at the time of the year. It's like the darkest time of the year, right? The next few weeks. And uh, by the time I get out there, the kids are in bed. It's really dark because it gets dark at like four o'clock now around here. So by the time I'm out there, it's dark. It's like nighttime. And I've realized that if I, if I go out and I start to walk and I look down at my phone, I check something on my phone, do a couple of texts, check an email or send an email, something like that. And I'm looking at the bright screen. Then when I look up, everything is pitch black. Like I can't see a foot in front of my face. I can't see the path in front of me. Like all of a sudden I'm walking and I'm on the grass and I realize, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm missing the path. I can't see anything because this place is not lit up. There's no lights. One side of it goes kind of along uh, Main Street and so there's some lights but on my side where my house is there's no lights over there. So it's so dark. I can't see anything. I can't see where I'm going. I can't see what's around me. I wouldn't even know if somebody was walking towards me and we were going to bump into each other. But if I put my phone away, which I should, and I don't let myself get distracted, after a minute or two my eyes adjust. And if I let my eyes adjust, all of a sudden, most nights, I realize there's plenty of light for me to see all around me. That between the moon and the stars, and maybe some of the lights from the other side, there's enough light for me to see all kinds of things that I can't see when my eyes have not adjusted to that level of light. And I think that is what's happened in Simeon's life. He has eliminated so many distractions so that he is tuned in. His eyes have adjusted to see what God is doing all around him. And man, I, I, I just wish for us, we could have a similar experience in our lives that we would let our eyes adjust. And perhaps this Christmas is the one where we can take aside some of the distractions and let our eyes adjust to what God is doing in our lives and what God is doing all around us as we wait and as we look for him that we might see things that we couldn't see before when our eyes were adjusting to all the shiny things, all the things that grab our attention and we might see the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us. Here's what Simeon was looking for. It says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. 
That's what he was hoping for and waiting for. And that is a reference to Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1. And in fact, uh, he, he had said um, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and that God had told him he was not going to die before he had seen this. See, when, when he sees Jesus, he has this moment that is so profound. He goes, uh, your servant can now depart in peace. I am so satisfied and content with what God has done. I, I, I don't need anything more. My life could be done and I would be happy. That's remarkable. Because he's been waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's his hope. So Isaiah chapter 41, this is what he's referring to. It says this, and this is where the idea of consolation comes from. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This is part of a poem. And it's written for uh, Hebrew people who are in exile in Babylon. They have been overtaken, conquered by the Babylonians, and many of them have been taken from their land, the land that God had promised them, and scattered out to live in a foreign land in Babylon, where there's a, a different kind of government, a government that has been violent to their people that is in charge, where they have religious restrictions, where they're not free to do what they want to do and live how they want to live, where they're not free to worship how they want to worship. And it's written to a people who are getting tired of it. They're sick and tired of it, and they're waiting for God to take them out of that place in life, restore them back into their land, give them peace, holistic peace once again. But they're so tired and they're so weary. Simeon is picking up on that, and he appropriates that whole idea to his time. In his time, just when Jesus was born, they were living in, in the promised land, but they had been conquered by the Romans. They had religious restrictions. They weren't free. They were experiencing violence. They were hurting and they were tired and they were weary. And so uh, Simeon was now looking back at the time where the people wanted to be freed from Babylon, comforted, said, this warfare is all over. You're back at peace. And part of that is, you know, they believe that God was punishing them. This is part of their disobedience. They've been kicked out. So that last line is that the punishment is over, that God's not punishing you. God is blessing you. And Simeon takes it and he sees himself and the, the Jews in his day in a similar position and saying, we're waiting for that same comfort. We're waiting for those same promises to be enacted out in our life. And it is for us also today in the church to read this and say, in many ways, we are in exile. That we are waiting once again for God to come and, and bring peace to our world and end our warfare and end injustice and hurt and pain and suffering and mourning and all the things that make us tired and weary. We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. The Israelites were waiting in Babylon. Simeon and his Jewish counterparts were waiting in that, that, that moment when Jesus was born. And we are also in many ways still waiting for God to do incredible things. If you read the middle of chapter 40 of Isaiah, what you get is this contrasting language between uh, the God of Israel, Yahweh, and idols that were in Babylon. So their gods. And here's why. Because in their weariness, the temptation is for people to look for a quick fix. So people who believed in Yahweh, trusted in Yahweh, this was uh, their God. He was their God. 
here's the temptation. It's the more you get worn down, the more you realize maybe we're never leaving Babylon. The more you realize, I don't think that God is showing up for us. You start to doubt, you start to drift, and you start to look for quick fixes, and you might go to some of these other gods. And the language in Isaiah 40 is this comparison between God and these idols. And the comparison is like, we have a living, breathing, moving creator God who created everything around you. And then you're looking at these pieces of wood that can't talk, can't move, can't do anything for you. You put on gold chains, you put on silver chains, you dress it all up, but it's still just a piece of wood. It's still just a piece of metal. Don't fall for that. Don't get so worn down that you go, well, I'm just going to live the way that everybody else around me lives. And if God is not going to show up, Yahweh is not going to show up, I'm just going to pick another God. And the encouragement here is going to be to compare those two views of what God is really like and not to go for the quick fix. Most of us don't have statue idols around us, but we've got all the classic idols, the quick fixes that we think will fix our lives, right? The big ones, money, sex, power. We can go more and more into it, into popularity, into production, into status, into all things that we think this is going to fix me, this is going to fix our city, this is going to fix the world. And most idols are not bad things. Most idols are good things that we try to make ultimate things, good things that we try to make God things. Instead of saying, we're going to keep God at the top and all these other good things, we're going to put them in proper perspective. That's what Isaiah 40 is kind of about. Let's put things in perspective. Guys, hold on, hold on, hold on. Keep some hope. We're waiting together for, for this comfort. And this is the declaration of the poet. Comfort, say comfort to my people. Your warfare's ended. The time has come. Your iniquity's pardoned. You're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And you can receive from the Lord's hand um, no more punishment. God is going to bless you. And then when we come towards the end of the chapter, we kind of bookend these two ideas. There's this really powerful, powerful uh, stretch of verses. verses. It says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Why do you say that God's not paying attention to you? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. The poet here wants the people to know that God is not tired. God is not weary. God is not running out of steam. God is not overwhelmed. You might put your hand up and say, I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm overwhelmed, I'm sick of this, but God is not. We got to start there. God is not overwhelmed by the things that are happening in this world. He's not tired. He's not going, man, I got to pick myself up and hopefully we can do something about this. God is strong. God is powerful. God is able. And that's important for the next part. Because it says in verse 29, he gives power to the faint. God is not tired and he gives his power to those who are tired. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. He brings up an image of people that we think might be really energetic. And he says, even these young people who seem really fit and really energetic and they're really ready to go, get tired and faint. It's okay. And some of you need to hear that today. It's okay that you're tired. Hear God sympathizing with you. I know that even people in the best phase of life, the most energetic phase of life, 
in terms of being able to do things and all the right, get tired and get worn down. I understand that waiting is hard. I understand that life can be hard. I understand that your challenges are tough. I understand what it's like to feel like you're beaten down. I understand what it's like that you don't think you can get up sometimes and keep going. I understand that you don't think you have the energy to get where you need to go. But God is not tired. And he gives power to those who are faint. And to those who have no mighty increases their strength, even youth shall faint and be weary. We all get tired. But then this powerful verse in 31, and this is Simeon, right? Remember, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's those who wait. And that Hebrew word for wait means to hope. Those who hope in the Lord. I know there's so many reasons why we should give up hope, why we, why we want to stop waiting, why we want a quick fix, why we want to escape from the things that are so painful and they are so painful, why we don't think we can continue because we're so tired. But those who wait, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. That's real hope, that the God who is not tired wants to give you his strength. The God who's not worn out wants to pick you up. It's natural. Everybody's going to get tired. Everybody's going to get worn down. Everybody's going to want to lose hope. Everybody's going to look for a quick fix once in a while. But those who wait in the Lord, those who stick with hope, will renew their Strength. That word hope, one way that uh, it could be translated, that word, there's a range of meaning, is accord. And I love that. And you go, why would it mean hope, wait, and accord? But think about it, accord. Something that you hold on to, that tethers you to something else, accord. Makes me think of in Hebrews 6, when it talks about the promises of God, it says we have this hope that is an anchor for our souls, that our soul needs accord, something to hold on to. Because we're out there sometimes and the waves are bashing us this way and that way. And we feel like we're going to drift off and we feel like we're going to be lost or we feel like we're going to drown. But we need a cord to hold on to. We need an anchor for our souls. We wait on the Lord. We wait. We grab the cord. We hold on for dear life to the anchor that holds in the storm for our soul. So how do we do that? How do we wait really well? How do we wait hopefully? There's this great line in Romans chapter 12 that I think uh, teaches us really well about that. And it's, it's part of a section that's talking about sort of the characteristics of a good Christian life, a deep life of faith. And this one line gives us three different things I think that fit right really well in here. How do we wait? How do we have hope? Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Here's three ways to wait, especially when you're tired, especially when you're struggling, especially when you're hurting, especially when you're sick of waiting. Here's how to wait well. Number one, rejoice in hope. Literally, this word means to lean into grace, to remember and to relive the graces that God has poured out into your life. Grace is gift. Grace is the things we don't deserve. Grace is what God has poured out into our lives, not because we deserve it, because he loves us. And everything that God does for us is grace. So beautiful and so wonderful. Rejoice in hope. Lean into the, into the grace of God. That is hope. 
that God does give us what we don't deserve. This might be remembering the mercies that you have experienced in your life, remembering the times, maybe some really hard times, but that you came on the other side of, and you look back and you said, wow, God brought me through that. That's the way we lean into grace in the present is we remember the grace of the past. You might want to jot some of those things down. You might want to talk to some friends about that. You remember that hard time? You remember how rough it was? You remember how low I got? You remember how we didn't see a way out? And then what God did, lean into grace and live into grace. Rejoice in it. Let it pick you up. Let it remind you that even if you don't see a way out right now of what you're going through, that God does come through. We can keep waiting. Rejoice in hope. Grab, grab that tether, that anchor, and hold on and be happy that God is gracious and God comes through. Number two, be patient in tri tribulation. This is so hard and so important. In the midst of trials, tribulations, hurts, pains, challenges, what we normally see what, what normally takes all of our attention is the pain, is the things that hurt, is the things that we wish were different, is the challenge that they seem sometimes insurmountable. We often don't know how we're going to move forward. We need knowledge, we need wisdom, and we need help that we can't see right now. That's why patience is so important. Patience says, I may not have what I need now, but it doesn't mean that I won't have it later. This is not ultimately where I'm going to end up. And so I'm going to be patient in tribulation. I'm going to trust God and wait for wisdom and wait for God to move and wait for clarity that I don't have right now. I'm going to put my attention not just on the things that hurt, which is so natural. Of course, we're going to think about our, our struggles and our pains but I'm going to remember that God is even bigger. And I'm going to wait for him to show himself. I'm going to wait for a new perspective. I'm going to wait for his strength to build me up. See, patience says there may not be a quick fix to this problem, but it doesn't mean that it's not going to get resolved. Patience says even if I can't see it right now, doesn't mean that there's not a solution. Just because I don't see what God is doing right now doesn't mean he's not doing something powerful. Patience says, I believe this will pass, but I'm going to wait and I'm going to hope and I'm going to keep on going. You know, I was, I was reading uh, around these, that chapter in Isaiah 40 uh, for some context and reading through what this is all about. And if you keep reading after chapter 40, you see so much. It's like God is trying to tell them, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. Like it's, it's hard for them to just, just hold on to that hope. So he has to keep reminding them. It's like, you're going to easily forget that. Like, I think a lot of us, we easily forget that God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. God is strengthening us. God is there for us. And there's this imagery that stood out to me that it's repeated a number of times that God wants to tell them that, that he's trying to really impress, I think, in their mind and in their heart. And I wonder if there's someone out there that just needs to hear this today. Someone out there that needs to see this imagery, that you need to picture yourself in this situation. This was written for the nation of Israel, but I believe it's also written for us in a sense. And here's what God says over and over and over. I'm with you. I'm going to take you by the hand. I'm walking through this with you. I will take you by the hand and no one can snatch you out of my hand. Listen to this. 
Verse 41, uh, chapter 41, verse 10. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my virtuous, victorious right hand. Skip down to verse 13. For I hold you by your right hand. I, the Lord your God. And I say, don't be afraid. I am here to help you. Skip to chapter 42, verse 5. God, the Lord, Yahweh, created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to everyone, life to everyone who walks the earth. And it is he who says, I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. I will take you by the hand and guard you. Skip down to chapter 43, verse 13. From eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. No one can undo what I have done. God's saying, I'm coming with you and I'm grabbing you by the hand. We're in this together and nobody can take you away. You know who's got your hand? The everlasting God from eternity to eternity. He's saying, just wait on me. I know it might not look great right now, but you keep waiting. You keep hoping. You be patient because I'm doing things that you might not see. Not right now, but be patient. Wait, hope. Third thing from Romans is be constant in prayer. This is all the time. That's how we are reminded of who's holding our hands. Reminded of his presence. Pray that God would change your circumstances. Maybe even more pray that God would change you. That he would grow you. That he would strengthen you. Even if things are still hard, even if you're still tired. When we wait, when we wait well, we're letting our eyes adjust. Hopefully to see things that we don't see when we're distracted, when we're busy, when things are loud. Like Simeon, who had just this clear understanding of the Holy Spirit leading him, such that he could see Jesus, a powerless, poor infant, and go, this is what I've been waiting for. <laughs> Everything's going to be okay. The entire world's going to be okay. This is a light to the Gentiles, to the entire world. It's the glory of Israel. It, this was our purpose all along. We're seeing it in Jesus, in the Messiah who is born the world will change through this and the world will never be the same. James writes in James chapter 1, verse 4, Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let patience go to work in you. Let endurance go to work in you because it's, it's making you more and more mature. It's growing you. It's strengthening you. And when that happens over time, you're going to lack nothing. Patience obtains everything. That was a sign that I saw uh, back in May. And I talked about this. I apologize if you heard this already um, in a podcast back then. But uh, this was when um, they had just opened up restaurants after closing them down uh, for only takeout service and curbside pickup. And I think it was Mother's Day in May when I went. And there was a specific time I was to show up for the food. Uh, when I got there, they were so behind. And we waited and we waited and we waited and we waited. And we're, I'm talking to other people in line. And people were waiting more than an hour after they were supposed to be there. They were still there waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. It was such a picture of um, life in a pandemic, right? We always seem like we're waiting for something. And after I finally got my food, I drove around to go home and I passed this church and there's a sign out front and the sign says, patience obtains everything. And I just went, that's powerful. If you're patient enough, if you let patience do your work, do its work in you, it matures you, it grows you, God goes to work in your life. And if you're willing to wait and hope, God always shows up. And what you don't have right now, what you're missing right now, where you're lacking right now, 
Patience obtains everything. I'll close with this, uh, written by Teresa of Avila, and it's really powerful. It's really challenging, but I think it's a picture of what happens when we are able to let our eyes adjust and to put in perspective the hard things in our life and how big and powerful they are, and then the presence of God and how truly big and powerful he is and how we put those things side by side. Perhaps this is something for us as we wait this Christmas season for us to be able to put things in perspective. She writes, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away, but God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are enough. Thank you that you're not tired, that you're not weary, that you're not overwhelmed. But God, you know, many of us are. Many of us have been. Many of us will be. And so I lift up anyone today who, who may be really walking that path right now and, and feeling that burden. God, would you help them to wait and hope in you? And would you renew their strength? Would you renew our strength as a community and even as a, as, as a, as a race, a human race? God, would you restore our strength that we might soar on wings like eagles? alongside of you in your mission to bring peace and love to this world. And so help us, help our eyes to adjust this Christmas season to see the comfort in the Messiah who was born in Bethlehem. His name is Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.